0: Hello and welcome to the Noisy Hadger podcast, episode 8 we're on now and I've had an alright week. I'll be honest, I am thinking why am I doing this? I'm really thinking this um, because I'm not promoting it, obviously. I don't really have a good strategy for this. The aim was to just have some good conversations, talk to people and talk about interesting things on this podcast but also... But now I'm like, do I have the time to dedicate to this? And as you will know, I spend a lot of time starting projects and then wondering how to fit everything in and then wondering what is important, what kind of ticks all the boxes, um, or at least some of the boxes in your life. You know, does it bring you joy, make you money? Does it stress you out? Does it do all these, you know kind of finding that balance and I'm like "Mm, why am I doing the podcast again and I think like the idea we had it was about what three months ago and Curtis was super super encouraging was like yeah just have some conversations don't over edit just like um you know get it out there and obviously the aim for me was to have some sort of proper video strategy around it and to promote it and to do all these things and then uh, of course I started my job and Now, for me, the aim is just to publish it on a Friday, um, which is, you know, still an achievement in itself. And I must say, the thing I do get out of it is that it is a way of me feeling like I know what I'm talking about or how I'm feeling in the week. It's kind of a video diary, but hopefully a little bit less um, moany, maybe just a little bit. Um, But I've been thinking about this this week and in the context of meeting meeting new people and how I get when I'm around people I sort of have this quite a hyperactivity thing Um, and I sway between this hyperactive side of me and this completely like shut down not knowing how to be around people thing and I do feel like when I'm talking just to a microphone this is when I feel like myself um like I talk at a normal rate I am not interrupting people, obviously, I interrupted myself, but (laughs) Um, there's not this desperation to be listened to or to be saying something important or to be heard. And I just think, God, why can't I speak like this in normal life and to have the pace that I'm having? And I think that's because when I am talking to people, I feel like I'm picking up on all these signals they're giving me. And I don't know if, I am or not, I think I talked a bit about this sort of intuition side, but it's also paranoia it's I'm sort of figuring out are they bored? Am I talking too much? Is the thing I've just said stupid? Does that make sense? And I think weirdly, what this podcast has become has it's it's me talking in my natural way um at my natural pace <laughs> without that kind of adrenaline that I can get when I'm talking to people and it's a bit um it's a bit puzzling and perplexing really Um, yeah like you know they do these public speaking things and it's about how to like there's gravitas isn't there it's like how to sound and come across as if the thing you're saying is important it's believing in what you're saying so that people will believe in you and, and understand and listen and you know often in the context of meetings and negotiations and I've I never thought I had that problem, but I've definitely realized over the last ten years how much worse my verbal communication was. I always thought I was a good communicator, but I wasn't. I was a good performer. And there's a massive difference. And I knew, you know, I was good at English and writing and stuff. So you sort of put the two things together and you go, Yeah, I'm really great at communication, but actually I'm possibly not because my spidey senses are constantly trying to pick up on negative Information, which means that I get nervous when i'm talking um I get anxious, I don't come across as a particularly uh confident or self assured person i think um even though I might feel it, I might be talking about a certain subject with knowledge, but then when that worry and fear kicks in, I derail myself um both in sort of personal and professional conversations, I I think. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. And obviously over the things I've been speaking about loosely over the last few weeks, you know, you can put that down to parent issues, daddy issues, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of things around um, when you are a child who has to adapt a lot to your parents. That's something that will happen. You are expecting to either be told off or you're expecting to have to adapt your behavior based on a reaction from a caregiver so I'm guessing that's that's an inbuilt thing which is gonna I say it's gonna take time to get over I mean I'm 36 now um might as well be 37 I've started rounding up I'm over the halfway point um and yeah it's I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering whether it's worth me doing some sort of practice, you know, to to be better at speaking, not public speaking necessarily, but just um, just conversation, just meetings. Um, Maybe we'll see. So, yeah, this is I would say that's possibly I've talked myself into the use of this podcast, which is me having a moment of calm where I am myself because I don't feel like I am myself very much. I feel like I'm versions of myself as we all are. But never the calmest self, because as as long as there are people around me, I'm like, oh, how can I? I? There's this nervousness and this, this entertainment thing, and it's trying to be funny all the time, um, which often ends up being irritating. Um, and also you sort of can risk not seeming like a very serious person as well. I swear to God, my words have gone. I keep forgetting words a lot. Um, you know, yeah, you're searching for the perfect word that gets your point across without you having to say two or three sentences and yeah I keep keep forgetting the right words um anyway what else I had a lovely lovely time with my uh friend uh Jen on Wednesday night Jen from last week's podcast and that was wonderful we had dinner and a catch up and walked over embankment bridge um and that was really lovely positive catch up i think in many ways and what else? Yeah, work-wise, I mean, sort of settling in, like I said, big, big anxiety and nervousness just around conversation. Um, and I've also noticed, and this is probably a strange thing to say, but have I, I don't think I've said this. I've said this to, to Curtis about not knowing how to be around men. Because I've actually not, <laughs> when I'm around men, it's usually in the context of either performing on stage with them, so it's very brief and there's kind of a, a dynamic or quite an easy dynamic, or I'm the performer and I'm on stage and I'm dressed up and um, fulfilling a, a sort of role or, you know, I'm, pl- I'm playing a part really in my head. Um, or, you know, the way I've dealt with men is, you know, there have been quite negative presences in my life in many ways, some of them. Um, or there's, you know, a lot of the general stereotypes we have about men. So actually I've forgotten what it's like to work with men because obviously most men I've worked with before are absolutely fine and nice. But it's been so long um, that, yeah, I'm I'm like not sure what my persona should be. Um, I'm literally noticing myself feeling like I'm trying to be girly and silly and I, I do not want to be that. But then I think I'm sort of switching between that and then trying to be like professional seeming. Oh God, it's also pointless and depressing how much one must analyze oneself. <laughs> um, And I don't, and it's not natural. I don't think everyone just does this. I don't think people are born just doing this. I do think it is a made thing. We don't, like, you know when we don't we start off the world curious about the world, right? We start off curious with finding out things about the external, and then something switches where we're questioning the internal constantly, and it's because people tell us what we should be, I think maybe maybe it's normal to question the internal from a young age. I don't know um what else i am I'm starting swimming lessons again in a couple of weeks, so that's good um, I have also. Try to enlist the help of some people to help me do this work in progress which is on November 21st so hopefully with three weeks to go I can get somewhere on that on Saturday. I did start to make some progress at the weekend but yeah Saturday tomorrow morning I'll be talking to a brilliant comedian friend called Farah Shop. so she will help me through that I hope. I'm also booking comedy and telling myself not to get carried away with new ideas for comedy nights and things because I do just want, it would be nice to just be good at my job um, for that for a bit and not worry about doing 50 other jobs. But we'll see. Um, Yeah, so maybe this podcast is just my little offload and then sharing a conversation. So I will probably leave you to it for this week's podcast. I'm going to go and watch the rugby and lie down. This week's episode is a conversation with Rosie Wilby. Now, Rosie Wilby is a comedian. She's an actor, she's a writer. Um, her book, The Breakup Monologues, um, was sort of the result of a podcast she had, I think, called Breakup Monologues. And then, yeah, she wrote a book called The Breakup Monologues, The Unexpected Joy of Heartbreak. And she sort of calls herself an accidental relationship guru. Um and yeah we had a good chat about breakups and relationships and a little bit about the writing process and she's she's really great and I have not edited this properly I've done a very very rough edit because I'm trying not to get bogged down in the edit so forgive me if there's any bits and bobs that shouldn't be in there um or I'm just like rambling on but I think I'll leave this loose and free and I really hope you enjoy it so this is me chatting to Rosie Wilby. Like, let's talk about your book and uh and yeah. it's the breakup monologues right that's the um and you it was out in hardback what last last year was it
1: yes yeah and it'll be out in paperback in the early new year so you know to coincide with all those new year breakups Ooh. yay <laughs>
0: <laughs> Didn't get the Christmas present you want here's one you will want there you go. there's your um strap line already um yeah, uh, so I mean, I know it's kind of obvious like what would have sort of led you <laughs> led you to writing about uh, writing it um but yeah talk, talk me through that process. What was the first spark um of of the book in your mind and in your life and what led yeah you well i
1: mean i've I've s- spoken often about the time when I was dumped by email. Um and felt much better once I'd corrected her spelling. <laughs> oh. Um <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that that was a difficult and challenging breakup and had been a difficult and challenging relationship. And so that's what really propelled me to investigate the psychology of love and relationships quite as deeply as I have you know which has led me from comedy shows that I performed at Edinburgh Fringe and so on to more serious work including two books which combine humour with real science and psychology Mm -hmm. and then a lot of articles for magazines and newspapers and, and more sort of serious talks as well and and speaking and sort of thinking about some of the spin-off themes about transformation and healing and growth and how we reinvent ourselves or how we learn from trauma and and manage to heal and bounce back after it and all of these other themes that kind of that then move on from from thinking about relationships and and how when they don't work (laughs) what we do
0: and how old were you in that that sort of seminal breakup
1: it, were you oh, going, well i was or in or? i was in my 30s okay, so um yeah it w- I wasn't like really really young although you know there was another breakup that i uh, i do talk about in the book with my first ever serious uh, girlfriend and she and i were living together and we uh, we had a fire at our house uh, that we were renting because um I think we'd left a candle burning on the bookcase. And so all our stuff went up in smoke, which was kind of this really dramatic, you know, I guess, catalytic moment that that made us, forced us to choose where we were going to live and if we were going to still live together. And, yeah, it it was quite sort of bizarre and in all the stress and, you know, sadness of losing all all your stuff wow. um there, there was some weird dark humor because we actually got our deposit back um from our landlord because i think he felt bad because uh his terrible cheap highly flammable furniture had probably contributed to everything going going up in smokes oh quite so quite so quickly but so your whole you life know, went
0: up in smoke <laughs> yeah
1: literally i mean we fortunately we we had two cats and they got out but they were like running around the garden really really terrified and scared and they actually lived wild in the garden for a few days that summer with our neighbors feeding them and stuff um because they were just really really freaked out And we didn't have anywhere to go at first we were sort of staying on different friends floors and kind of camping and living in borrowed clothes all our friends are sort of you know, gone down the backs of their wardrobes for things they could loan us. And their gosh, wife, it's something you friends. never
0: really—I never really think about it when you hear about oh, your house went up from something like, You go, ev- no, everything you have, like, yeah, it just everything, feels
1: everything. So because even funny. if you know, even if you have something like a piece of clothing that hasn't actually burnt to a crisp, it will be stained yeah. and stinking, and you can't. You can't wash it and sell it. you can't, you know, it's just, everything is just really, really ruined. I mean, we had pictures on the wall that melted off of the walls. Good. It it was insane. And the way you can see the heat rises is really scary because I was doing music at that time and that the fire was really what <laughs> what sort of forced me to decide to change my career from music to comedy because I think I wanted to do something something a bit lighter oh, I um, like we've
0: definitely got some things in common haven't we <laughs> I
1: can... I, yeah so I was quite a serious musician and singer-songwriter and I had a band had an album about and, and all of this kind of stuff and so all my guitars were on their stands and the top of the guitar where you, you know you have all the little tuning heads and stuff like that butt part had then suddenly kind of all bent around in a weird kind of shape and was all hanging down like like all molten like a sort of melted weird stalactite or stalactite which hang on which one goes up which one goes i never, goes know the, I never goes, ever, oh, ever know the difference maybe I <laughs> you, you can yeah.
0: talk while i google and then we'll know forever well until the next time
1: i know yeah um so so yeah it was uh, yeah that was quite a, that was quite a dramatic breakup um because we we sort of stayed stalactites hang Stallic tights hang so it was like a stallic tight sort of hanging off the edge of the guitar. Um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so (laughs) because I think, don't some people say tights come (laughs) down? Oh,
0: yeah, that's a, that's a thought as well. You you sort of hang your tights on the...
1: But then that's confusing because you pull your tights up as well. Oh, yeah. a... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no see, a... Can I ask, I can't that's remember, remember if right. you
0: posted about this. Do you have ADHD as well like me? Or if, I haven't seen that. No, I've seen someone else. Do I seem like I have? No, I not at know. all. Whenever I hear someone's <laughs> brain, I'm like, oh, if you listen to them, like, I can never tell. Is that because they've got ADHD or is it because I'm actually normal and don't have it?
1: <laughs> well, you know what? I don't actually know. Um, I have... Now, for a while, I mean, I touch on this in the book, actually, I have wondered whether I have some kind of neurodiversity, because I have always thought, well, oh, my brain works in different ways to, to everyone else, all these sort of, in inverted commas, normal people. When I used to try and do normal jobs, um, you would, I don't know, kind of be working alongside these people and talking to people that you just think, well, I just don't. I don't understand you at yep, all. I it. yep. it's, just, it's just totally different. So, yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's not the, I, the podcast. I <laughs> actually don't know, you know, and I'd love to, I mean, because we don't really have or certainly didn't have, when you know, when I was younger, a lot of tests and ways of assessing these things. So I certainly have had no formal diagnosis, but yeah, I do wonder if if there's something that's you know not yeah. not neurotypical yeah, um, in the way well. that. If we're just—is
0: uh, yeah. it ADHD or are we just medicating creative people so that they like do boring <laughs> jobs? Is that actually what we're doing? I'll take it back yeah, to we're your break. To find excuses, <laughs> yeah. I'll take it back to your break. The first, the first uh, big breakup. So um, after the fire, you kind of were at this sort of crossroads of whether you decide to get a place together again or not, and I uh, yeah. presume yeah. you um, decided not
1: yeah that's right but you know in a very amicable and, and lovely way and and she and I stayed friends for a long long time and I'm you know still friends on Facebook and message each other now and then to check in how, how they how you're doing mm-hmm. um you know if something significant has happened in that person's life either a happy or sad thing um So, yeah, we would always check in with each other uh, when we can. And, yeah, for for many years we'd really try very hard to regularly meet up and and catch up. And so, yeah, I think after my last breakup, she was one of the people that I did speak to quite a lot and and, uh, met up for drinks one time. And I was like, oh, God, how long do you think I should leave it before... Um, before dating, you know, before going out dating again. And she, she, this is her humor, she just looked at her watch, went, B- about an hour?
0: <laughs> Love that. Oh, that's a good friend. That's a good person to have in your life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, well, that's good that that was, so that was nice and kind of, it's, well, because often it's the other way around, isn't it? You're sort of in your 20s and that's where it's like the crazy traumatic, and I'm sure you might've had those sort of as well, but, and then it's your 30s where it's a bit, yeah. oh, we're both doing this and we'll, you know, we'll yeah. be sensible and everything, but you're actually, the the trigger for this book seemed a bit more kind of, um, yeah, transformative and quite Yeah, well, it was a bit,
1: the thing is, I think that relationship was distressing because it was later in my life, in my kind of mid-30s, when I was thinking about wanting to have a much more serious, committed relationship, when I was thinking about things like could I have children with somebody, which you do as a woman in your mid-thirties. And that at that time it was still not really something a lot of gay people were doing. I mean now it's really quite common, a lot of a lot of queer women and men, um, and non-binary and trans people you know, are are having families and in whatever way they want to go about doing that. Whereas it still seemed quite rare or certainly unless you had a lot of money for IVF and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, it seemed like you'd have to be a bit of a, a pioneer to, to have children. And, you know, the difficulty about this relationship that I was having was um, this woman was not out to her family. Mm-hmm. They were not, uh, well, you know, I'd, she'd made the assumption that they would not be not be open can to, that, to can it. Can that
0: ever work? Because if you're hiding so much of yourself mm. from some people, like you, surely that just means you're, you're going to be of the mindset that it's okay to hide things as well from other people who are intimate to you, maybe. Yeah, just it's, not facing that, stuff. yeah
1: it was something was, yeah. was going on. I mean, you know, the good thing is that ultimately, um, you know, in her next relationship, she was able to Uh, to be more open with her with her family and I think that all worked out okay Um, so so that was you know good in a way but also horrible and bittersweet for me it's like ah you know but I I loosened the lid (laughs) this is uh, yeah this is something I used to think a lot you know because you know the girlfriend who drank too much would suddenly you know get a more control on her drinking after after she'd been out with me and I'd sort of you know been trying to raise it with her and say ah you know and then you know the girlfriend who was agoraphobic sort of actually started seeing a therapist about that and trying to conquer that ah you know
0: "Ah." (laughs) that's a a good catalog of things that each one sort of has
1: yeah i know well they they actually get nicknames in in the beginning of the breakup monologues book i do a sort of reverse chronological rundown of of all my all my big breakups and obviously going right back to uh ex-boyfriend my sort of first ever boyfriend um before I saw the light (laughs) I I mean
0: I must say I'm one of these reluctant heterosexuals it's just not fair I don't understand I'm so sorry thank you I was raised practicing strict Muslim so what you know maybe in a different lifetime my brain would have been but I was like absolutely not you're not experimenting you're not doing anything you're like it is men who will give you the purpose (laughs) in life And if you can't find a man, then you might as well just die uh, because you're going to hell anyway. Um, To be fair, (laughs) I I do quite like
1: men. Um, (laughs) I I want to point out, I'm not. Oh, me too. uh, Yeah, I like too. I sound like I'm really, sound like I'm really dissing them. And interestingly, you don't at
0: all. You sound very loving and warm and open. I'm. I'm Uh,
1: but interestingly, there's a chapter in my book um, near the beginning uh, called. Uh, where I go to a sex lab, it's called Wired for Love. Mm -hmm. And so I do this experiment where you're wired up to machines. (laughs) Yes. Um, And you're wired up to machines that are sort of measuring your arousal when you're looking at um, erotica, shall we say. And so, yeah, they were particularly advertising for lesbian participants for this one study, whereas normally most of these studies have been done in America with heterosexual participants. And they've sort of, often kind of found that women have this much faster, broader tapestry of sexual desire than maybe men do. Um, And women are sort of turned on by a whole range of things and maybe a broader range of things than we would admit to being turned on by. So, you know, we are perhaps, you know, much more sort of pansexual than, you know, such binary labels as sort of heterosexual or gay, and I, I've always been open about the fact that sort of culturally, politically, socially, I identify as a lesbian, but in my sort of more animal, sexual, instinctive way, I'm probably bisexual, pansexual. You know, I and certainly, look at...
0: relationships are very different as well, yeah, exactly. So, that. So, so different, they, they, they are very separate. I mean, I've, I've, I remember, um, there's this. Because I I class myself as fairly straight laced and a bit boring in many ways, but very open minded yeah. about what everyone else does. Because for me, I'm just like, oh, the rest of my life is too complicated. I can't. Mm-hmm. No, I've had too much freedom already. When I took my headscarf off, I can't give myself anymore. Um, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> so I remember seeing this brilliant this um, singer. Um, he his name's um, Ezra. Furman and he's amazing oh I love he, oh yeah. yeah, he's great, isn't he? um and he's very sort of gender fluid and and you know talks about sort of that side of things, and I remember seeing him talk on stage. And I was like i've never been so attracted and turned on like in my life this man i mean he would still say he's a man but um, like this man's amazing he's just um and yeah, it's that complete diff you know there's such a it's it's not the same who you want to make a relationship work with or who you can make a relationship work with. Um, we often sort of narrow mm-hmm. our sphere based on um, our experiences with and, and what we are used to, the patterns we have, possibly. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, break up. Uh, so, why are we so obsessed with them and fascinated by them. Why is it like breakups seem to be the trigger of so much stuff in our lives? I mean, even from the point mm. of like the first cigarette you have, so many people would ever asked me it's like it was after a breakup it tends like yeah. the, we do well, stuff and after and a breakup.
1: Interestingly, in our world loads of people started comedy some of the most high profile acts after after a breakup, right? Okay. Um but you know, famously Sarah Millican and yeah. um I think I think there are plenty of others as well. Um, and I th- I do think, and this is my kind of theme in a way um, in my talks and comedy shows and books, I do think that a breakup can be the catalyst and the trigger for really positive change and really healthy growth. And it can help us to make better informed decisions. And there have been loads of studies done where people after a breakup report lots of aspects of positive personal growth and a sense that they are going to actually be able to choose more compatible more suitable partners in the future because of course the first part of knowing what you do want is knowing what you don't (laughs) but then again there are unhealthy patterns that we sometimes until we've maybe addressed why we're doing it we can't help but repeat. We, we're just compelled to repeat. And I, I see so many people in the kind of relationship that I was in where we would break up, get back together, break up, get back together, break up, get back together. And, you know, I have two good friends now, you know, who were, who were over 50 who were still in locked into that pattern. And you'd think maybe we would grow out of that. And but I think sometimes it's just so compelling, because that narrative that that person is your person is your soulmate, is so compelling, even if the relationship is absolutely untenable, and it's causing you so much pain and hurt and stress that you really can't get on with your job and your life. And, you know, all your, the rest of your life is sort of on hold, because you just want to Get that relationship sorted and settled, and 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 it never can it never does, and it's it's like oh no, you know I was in that situation. You need to yeah, yeah, and
0: you can't and um, you can't do anything either as an outsider, and then there always has to be that understanding that whatever you think you're seeing in someone else. You've got stuff that people are seeing in your relationship that you're not aware of,
1: and oh, oh, all the stuff we, you oh, know, wow. yeah, I know, blindly,
0: yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah. God, you think we all? Just... I mean, my grandma always says this. She's like, oh, so and so, the relationship, and it might not be what you want, but it works for them, and it works for them. And I'm looking at this toxic couple that will just go round around screaming at each other. I'm like, does it work for them? Like, I know they're still yeah. together. Like, what do we... I mean? For you, actually, let, let, let's um, have a have a see where this goes um yeah what what does working um what does a relationship working look like to you through all your study and knowledge of the aftermath well
1: I, I you know I think that is a really really personal thing isn't it and sometimes you do have to be quite pragmatic about it mm. and it was quite interesting to me when I spoke to some people on the Breakout Monologues pod um, which obviously gave then gave its name to the book People like Richard Herring, who'd been in a relationship a long time, and he was on with Caroline Maybe as well, and they, you know, they were both talking about sort of how to avoid a breakup when you're in that longer-term relationship, and they both sort of talked about it being a bit like a business, really. Once you're, you know, in that situation where you've got kids with somebody, and you've got to manage your careers and different schedules, and you're exhausted. You know, nobody's really got time necessarily to go off and have an affair and do all these thrilling things that we're supposed to do when we're not happy in our relationship, Um, you know, and not receiving 100% thrilling excitement from it. Um, And you just have to sort of crack on and negotiate. And it's not always romantic and (laughs) all of the hearts and flowers. I mean, obviously, yes, sometimes do do nice things for your partner and, you know buy them flowers or chocolates or whatever it is that that they love and you know will appreciate and you know and sometimes do that nice little kind gesture but a lot of the time it really is about yeah who's putting the bins out oh god you know the dog's been sick on the bed he's gonna clean that i only
0: only refill the water jug because i know Mm. he wants it full all the time like i don't i i will i will refill the brita filter when i'm ready to have a drink and i'll wait those one one or two minutes but he always keeps it refilled so my biggest act of yeah. love during the day is going <laughs> i really can't be asked to do this but i know it would make him just slightly his life slightly easier and that is what like my day you, kid, did,
1: um, <laughs> you could do some kind of water filter advert couldn't you yeah like your story <laughs> brita love
0: Show, show him you love him. Show him you care. But it does come back down. It's James for me. It's those builder. tiny little thing, tiny little moments of effort that you just think, oh, that's. And I think as long as you have that, that you still want to kind of make someone else's day better.
1: Yeah. And instead of actively mean. wanting to make it worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally wanting to <laughs> die. Um, and just yeah,
1: yeah. check, <laughs> check with life
0: assurance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it should have been, bless my ex-husband. I mean, he did He did see through this. But a lot, because I, I was so desperate for a life apart from him. And I think he was for me as well. We, I, it definitely wasn't, it wasn't a healthy love in any way. We were together like, you know, nearly eight years. Um, but every time I'd write a story, a short story, just about, you know, a version of me it would be with the husband who had died You know? <laughs> like I was I was a widow or he was dying oh. or he was out the picture oh then my life could begin um and you yeah. know on one hand you're like oh it's creativity you just write what you want um but hey that's what you get for dedicating a song that you wrote for your ex-girlfriend to your girlfriend in in public and saying it applies to both of them so I thought sod it I'll keep writing him dead that was just <laughs> That was just a, a memory I had from when I was 23 coming in. Um, Amazing.
1: <laughs> Did that, uh, talking of songs, actually, when um, I first wrote a song for my ex, my first proper ex who we lived together in, in, in the house that burnt down, mm-hmm. um, I, when I'd um, written my first ever song inspired by her, she was like, oh, that's nice. What's it called? And I said, underachievers of the world unite. <laughs> <laughs> because if she was in this job that just wasn't, you know, yeah, was not uh, really suitable for someone of her yeah. supreme intelligence and abilities and skills, and yeah, she was just yeah going into work a bit pissed at times because Tim, yeah. yeah, and yeah, so uh, and I was also in my sort of manic street creatures. Phase of writing sort of dramatic of song titles. It was quite a good song, actually. I mean,
0: it sounds. Like <laughs> I love the title. It's, like, yeah, it's just the dedicating it to your. This is this is for you. You underachiever. <laughs> I mean, my ex husband's was when he was my boyfriend. um I'd gone along to one of his uh, singing gigs when he was writing songs, and he said, "I wrote this song for my ex girlfriend, but I'm going to dedicate it to my current girlfriend." because it still applies this is called so damn beautiful it's like thanks for wow. singing a song that um yeah and at the time because i was like 22 i was like oh okay <laughs> we've just we've just got that sort of relationship we can just be <laughs> we're funny like that we're just real we're just we're just who we are um i might start yeah. again in five minutes and just get 20 minutes extra from you if that's okay because zoom has started this 40 minute time <gasps> timer um is that all right yeah. just to go into yeah I'm just sort of chatting away and enjoying you talking and wondering what Yeah.
1: I mean, <laughs> is this is this all right? Are we supposed to be talking on any theme or it's just general well, chat? But, this but is so okay, basically, right? Basically.
0: I've called my podcast Noisy the Noisy Hadger podcast. I'm launching it next week because I my my little company is called the Noisy Noisy Badger and I've always had to wow. for my whole life introduce myself as Hadger like Badger. And, um, and also I've always, I, I was raised strict practicing Muslim was always told I was too loud, not feminine enough, blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of like a reminder to me that what I think is noisy is, is okay. Like you're just talking and um, yeah. it's okay to not constantly need to overcorrect yourself. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, um, So it's basically anything that people want to talk about because it's just value in (laughs) conversations and getting to know people. And it's it's my my way of being, it's basically my way of going, you you sound cool, let's chat. Um, Let's chat, yeah. um, Let's tell, I mean, how does it, feel to because so much of your um I guess public persona and the events you do are all about breakups and obviously you've moved on you're in a new relationship you know, you are in a new relationship well, I'm married you're married you're married congratulations or as I tell all my friends the day before their wedding happy pre-divorce party I oh yeah. congrats yeah. Um, joking how long have you been married now uh we
1: got married in June I think, so I, did know, yes, I, think I saw it's it's fairly recent and I I genuinely believe that having had loads of breakups has put me in a better position mm. to enter a relationship that I'm going to try to stay in. I'm going to try to make work for as long as we both can. But I also think that I am less scared of breaking up. I mean, divorce does sound like, you know, obviously, I've not been divorced before, because I've not being able to get married, because <laughs> guess what, gay people weren't allowed to. to. Um, and double congrats. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm quite excited about about the divorce. Whenever that happens. Oh, you I know, meant maybe... double congrats on getting married. That it's like you can and you on No, I know, I know, but I also think you know, hey, if we can get divorced, that'll be, the... you know, that'll be something I couldn't Pioneary. have done before it, as well. So. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of think I'm not scared of it. I mean, it would be sad because my wife is great and we have a lovely sort of family set up with our beautiful dog and our cat, and you know, and we have a home and you know, we, we have a life together. I, I love her family too, and um, and she loves my dad, but he's very eccentric and slightly odd. Um, but <laughs> but all that said, you know, if if it wasn't working anymore, I think we'd both be able to be oh, you know, through through the sadness of that yeah. mature enough now that, that we're this longing to to sort of go through it all more amicably than, you know, when I was younger, it just felt like, oh God, you know, I can't I, you know, we mustn't ever break up. Oh my god, that would be that would be just terrible, you know, I'm meant to be with you forever and you just have a very different yeah your whole
0: sense of self is so tied in with the relationship as well and the pressure just and there's something about just being like okay well we both know this might not work that just makes you go well we'll try you know we'll try a bit harder And, and to
1: be honest with that with that view and the sort of the pressure eased off like that you probably do stand a better chance of making it work than when all of your hopes dreams are pinned on the fact that it has to absolutely has to work um yeah, I mean, and I think my self-worth was very much attached to this relationship where my partner was not out because I thought her coming out would have been some kind of validation of us and therefore of me. So, yeah, there was a lot pinned on pinned on that.
0: So, I mean, you're obviously, you know, you're in a happier, settled place. Um, what's it like kind of constantly going through the breakup chat? You know, you're talking about your breakup constantly. How long ago was this breakup?
1: Well, I mean that breakup's a long long time yeah. ago now. um it's like ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and i I have had another breakup in between, but that was the more significant yeah. breakup and less sort of amicable one and one that I you know didn't handle as well as my more recent breakup sort of five years ago, I was able to really try and and do the conscious uncoupling model yeah. and stay friends, as you know, I have done with with that ex as well, and and other exes before. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny, and I think it's really great in a way to still hear other people's breakup stories and look into the science of of breaking up, and and be able to have that slight distance, but also that real connection to it. And I think having come through breakups and finding a happier place, I think I've been in a position to have this slightly more celebratory feeling and angle on, on breakups and sort of the fact that actually it's okay, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm here now and it's fine. And those breakups have really been a vital part of my journey towards where I am now. And I don't rule out another breakup perhaps be in the future sometime, hopefully not just yet, <laughs> you know, maybe being a part of my journey to where I get to in in the next bit of my life, you know, however long that that may be. Yeah, um but you I'm just not...
0: don't know. You don't know what, what um either internally is going on in, in two individuals and what external factors will, will Yeah and I, you. I
1: do think I do think in a way it's it's a mark of your success in a way as a, of how you've grown as individuals if you do end up growing apart because if you end up just neither of you growing and just sort of staying fixed then you're probably not doing all the things you need to do as separate people Mm, um so i don't know i've become really interested in in how we grow and how we navigate that in in a relationship and that's partly what fueled a lot of the questions i was asking in in my first book called is monogamy dead which was all about you know polyamory and how we might have relationships differently and talking to a lot of people who were who were having open relationships and, and negotiating things in a, in a very, very different way to the model that we see very much in our sort of Western world. So, I've yeah. Actually a I guest, do... I've,
0: got, I've got a guest talking all about uh, polyamory. I, I spoke mm. to her a couple of weeks
1: ago and she's, um, she's feeling
0: everything's ah, on everything. It's fascinating. Yeah, who was chatting about that? I was just a friend um, I've known for years and years. Um, and yeah, she sort yeah. of, after, after her big breakup, she's kind of... Um, dipped her toe in, in, in the water there and um, I mean it's, it's, it's fascinating and it, it really is yeah. interesting to me how much um, how much it brings up in yourself that you're not willing to confront because there's a lot of talking with polyamorous relationships and I'm like, I am not good at communicating to one person or to even myself. No. Um,
1: there's, a lot, there's a lot of admin as well, and you Yeah, who yeah. you didn't see when. The, yeah.
0: I, yeah, literally, she was talking about just the practical side to it oh, and, and the idea management. of telling lots of men that I'm not in the mood is just quite... Yeah,
1: it sounds exhausting but I also... Also think the just the whole principle of of it is is really interesting and it was quite challenging to me as somebody who'd always been monogamous but hadn't really thought through what what that meant it was yeah. just laden with assumptions you know we assume if you start dating someone that is, it's exclusive even if you haven't really talked about it and what does that mean does it mean you don't sleep with other people or does it mean you don't kiss other people does it mean you don't fall in love with other people which you can't really control um so yeah I also asked all those questions in a survey and it's, it's so interesting and I think for people in the sort of poly world the way you think about breakups alters as well because the way you think about the value of a relationship isn't just pinned on it lasting forever and ever and ever you know the value is not dependent on the duration
0: yeah and um, and i think also with the poly stuff as well it we have this expectation of monogamy from the off but it also opens the door up to like how many other expectations do we place on people like in that one thing because actually that whole idea of um of monogamy uh, monogamy and heteronormativity um all that we're saying, I assume that you also agree with this, 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 and this, and this, because that's my perception. that's what I've grown up with in the process of your um podcast and all the events and talks and articles and everything you've done, and the books, of course, were there any sort of patterns in yourself that you really had to acknowledge and face up to if you want to talk about that <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I think. It's interesting looking at what a serial monogamist I've been. And that's not uncommon in the sort of world of lesbian relationships and dating. Um, I think particularly, you know, for sort of midlife women now who've grown up not being able to get married and have children and sort of thinking, Okay, you know, I have to look to a different model than my heterosexual friends who are settling down with one person forever. So I I do think that within the queer community, you see these different modes of behavior, and typically queer women have tended towards quite rapid serial monogamy, and you have people having maybe 10 or 12 quite serious relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, or people they might have married where possible um, whereas you often see gay men settling down with one primary partner but perhaps having more of an open partnership and having other partners or lovers, um, romantic friendships, you know, whatever outside of that, and being quite comfortable with having more sexually open arrangements, whereas certainly queer women of my sort of age and generation have tended towards this sort of rapid serial monogamy. Um, so and I almost think it feels dishonest because it's like, you know, you say, well, you're going to be the one I stay with forever. And then actually just three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it, it sort of seemed quite, quite weird, this idea of ser- serial monogamy, because is it really monogamy? Which, you yeah, know, originally comes from the Greek meaning monos gamos, one marriage for life, when really we mean one marriage at a time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and in some ways maybe it's been easy you know maybe it's a good thing that I couldn't get married because I don't had so many divorces um well that was I think it was, a, it was a of, the old
0: old catholic or old um christian um laws around marriage whether you are effective because you know divorce wasn't allowed you are effectively adulterous if you have another relationship afterwards so that idea of monogamy was mm. um mm. yeah I mean it's, yes, it's yeah it's mad to, isn't it to, yeah isn't so right? that,
1: that's interesting also really in Interesting on that point is i think it's still the case that if you are in a lesbian marriage but then you went and had an affair with a woman that still wouldn't count as adultery because adultery is still defined by being between a man i and a remember woman, I
0: so um i remember reading um and i can't promise to have a uh, real knowledge of, <laughs> of of um muslim teachings but the punishment for um sodomy, as you know, is pretty pretty horrendous. The punishment yeah. for women uh was like stay at home until you've got over your face kind of thing it wasn't actually <laughs> uh, that was my interpretation of what I read. It was they must be banished and stay in their houses until they're ready to come out again kind of thing. It was like, like oh okay, so it
1: oh, just uh, okay. it was so, it was so
0: at odds with what I understood about um you know about uh, yeah. strict interpretations of Islam I was like oh but if you're a lesbian that's kind of okay <laughs> so, just um, go home and like watch I telly was, yeah. yeah I was better off I was better off um yeah having early experiences with um with, well I won't go into that which did, anyway um oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a lot of Muslim girls their first experiences are with women because they can't date boys so you go I oh, see okay. yeah um, oh well <laughs> well like a lot of girls anyway like whoever I think literally whatever yeah, your background yeah it's right. like
1: it's safer isn't it in, yeah. in a way um, it feels feels like it is. But literally did um, I know,
0: not as ha- not as sinful as I thought. So no actual. No. Um. There we go. As in, according to religious <laughs> religious texts, no. like actually, yeah. just stay at home until you're ready well, to pretend there we to are. not be a lesbian. So uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, ready we... <laughs> to ready to jump into the closet. Um, yeah. So I think um, I think I sort of noticed some patterns of behaviour that were you know, very much as, as many people do sort of jumping into relationships one after the other without any real robust decision-making process about whether this was the right person or the right time for me. But, you know, just feeling there was this pressure to be in a relationship, not wanting to be on your own, which is quite ironic because now I really love time on my own and really, really value and celebrate it. And, um, you know, if I, I don't know, spend some time away from my wife or if, you know, she's away at a conference or if I've got a few days away somewhere where I'm working, I just absolutely Mm. love it. And it doesn't mean I don't love my wife. It just means I really celebrate having that time on my own. I particularly love it when I'm on my own, but I've got the dog with me (laughs) because I have a different relationship with the dog when my Ah. wife's not there.
0: I mean, how much does that idea of, like, guilt play into it as well? Like, just accepting the range of thoughts and feelings that we have and being like... Because I think... um, Because the images we get of relationships from Hollywood movies, all that kind of bollocks and stuff, and, you know, even Pride and Prejudice, um, is that, you know, you'll... um, that your feelings will take you through so if you love someone enough that that's kind of all you need and that your your feelings will guide you and so then I've always struggled with intense feelings of guilt and should I be in this relationship is something wrong because I found that person attractive today it's like you're ovulating you're going like that's what that's why um yeah and it's constant yeah. thing like have you had to really um and I guess part of part of it is growing up and just you know being in more mature relationships as well you're just like we're yeah. going chill um did, did you have that in your early relationships where you're like fuck, if I'm not thinking about them all day long, there's something wrong. Oh, definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would really, really be quite angsty and be stewing in my own head about whether I was with the right person because, yeah, I would often be not even fancying other people, but be deeply in love with other people. I think I'm really a romantic person or romantically driven. I don't know whether I make big romantic gestures, probably not enough, but I think I'm romantically driven and romantically oriented. So I would say that my romantic orientation is stronger than my sexual orientation or drive. So I think the reason I love women is because I love women, not because I fancy women It's because I like that connection with women. And I've actually been quite annoyed to find out later in life that straight women were having really, really romantic friendships with one another all along. Because so I think, gosh, I probably could have done that. That would might have been just as good for me. And in a way, it wouldn't have been as complicated by sex with, like, my best friend, you know, because I think that, that is a problem when you're a gay woman is that you, your partner does become everything because you've got to be best friends, right? You can't have kind of other girl best friends because that would be weird if you're two women together but if you're a straight woman with a man it's okay to have a separate best friend I kind of think that that would be great because that's a bit like being polyamorous but without the admin of you know <laughs> having sex with more than one person and yeah. the sort of jealousies and complexities of that and I think oh that would that that would actually be my sort of perfect scenario and I think I've always wanted a best friend who I'm not sleeping with but it's quite hard to do that if you're gay <laughs> Yeah, it like I mean, have a male best friend, I guess, but That's I don't inter-
0: it raises often really have interesting powerful point. thing That's, with men. Yeah, such an interesting point about boundaries, like how do you I mean I mean most like the you know the the um you know, the right thing to say is that we have the relationships we want with whoever we want, our friendships are this, you know, your partner needs to trust you, blah, blah, blah. But we all have like, oh, okay, you're becoming close to that person. What does that mean? And, they, and, and it's, you know, it's hard, especially when they're new relationships, like, what do boundaries look like for you now when it comes to, because it never even occurred to me when you go, oh, I can't have a, another best friend. That's a, right. that's a woman. <laughs>
1: but um, surely you do (laughs) of course you can but i've i've definitely found that complex especially as a lot of our friends are are gay women as well but i i have um this year i'm proud of myself i've made a new friend um which it's harder to do as you get older right (laughs) and i have made a new friend who um is well, I don't even know how she would define exactly, but she, I guess by pan. Um, So, you know, I guess were we both single, there would have been the possibility to kind of flirt and be attracted to one another. But I suppose when you're both in relationships, you don't kind of think like that. And I think, yeah, it's sort of just been really lovely. And we've like obviously been intellectually attracted to one another because um, I met her when I interviewed her on my podcast. And she's really fantastic psychoanalyst and author and really clever person who I was you know interested to talk to um but also you know I felt no qualms about saying you know let's meet up let's hang out and she'd be like yes yes I really want to do that and so yeah we've been meeting up a few times and it's it's great and but I don't think I would have found that that easy to do In previous stages of my life, because I think I would have been confused about whether I was falling in love with this new person or what my motivations were and what the boundaries were and whether my partner would have been threatened or I I don't know, It, it always felt more difficult in the past.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, it, there is always, I, I I feel very similar with a lot of my relationships. There's always so much to unpack and like, oh, is this, what's my motivation? Like you said, what's my motivation behind this? And also sometimes it's a bit of a naughty motivation. Okay. Should we allow ourselves just like, oh, well, you're getting a bit of a kick or you're not like, where does, like, and, <laughs> in, in a way that I just feel like some uh, people some personality types just don't worry about at all. They would never like question exactly why they're being friends with something. Like, oh, I just want to talk to you. And that's it. There'd be no yeah. like extra stuff to mm-hmm. it. Um, I was wondering as well about your book and obviously all the sort of scientific research you delved into with it. Were there any like big, uh, what sort of research and facts really like surprised you or really stood out for you during that um, during that research?
1: phase yeah i think this whole thing about female sexuality and how the cultural myths that we have around women and how we're sort of the guardians of monogamy and we're really faithful compared to those cheating rogues men (laughs) um you know how that's all a load of rubbish um and how scientifically you know you find that women do have this thirst for sexual variety and novelty that that we don't necessarily acknowledge and if you look in the animal world you know you do often see females having sex with lots of different males you know because in an evolutionary sense that's a good thing right you know because you the strongest sperm you know is gonna create the the most sort of robust babies and so on and so I was really, I mean, I kind of joke a little bit about bonobos society, which is matriarchal, because bonobos have, like, the females have really sticky-outy front-facing clitorises. So it's really, really easy um, physically for two females to have sex together in quite a, you know, satisfying way. Um, Much easier than two human females, which, you know... (laughs) Very complicated. Um, and I sort of do some jokes about scissoring, which no one actually does unless you just watch Blue is the Warmest Color and you think, gosh, <laughs> maybe we should give it a go. <laughs> um, I'm so and... not hot
0: on lesbian cultural references, <laughs> queer cultural references. I'm like, there's a lot of films I need to watch and a lot of books I need uh, to well, read. No, Blue is the
1: Warmest <laughs> Color is like this really over long, but actually, in many ways, very good. French drama uh, is quite cryy when they like break up and it 's all quite intense um, but it it was a bit controversial because it was directed by this man who put the two young actors through absolute hell um and the sex scenes are really really long and, and really really intense and a bit too much and i actually yeah. watched it first in a sort of press screening with a load of male journalists and it was quite weird and uncomfortable oh
0: um okay. <laughs> maybe i will give that a miss <laughs> yeah.
1: but um uh, there's a there's a lot about it that that's yeah. that's quite good but the sex scenes could really be cut down uh, back to the anyway, bonobos anyway my point is <laughs> bonobos is, is matriarchal society because the females are having a, a good time together and forming bonds and alliances and kind of going, oh, yeah, I will help you gather fruit because, you know, I had a lovely time rubbing my clitoris against yours <laughs> um and the, the males are just kind of left out and just sort of going oh you know oh we I'm needed some again for to some sperm yeah mm-hmm. well exactly yeah and they're just more sort of functional um and all the sort of pleasure and you know kind of friendships and bonding is happening between the females so it's this matriarchal society where they've got all the power and I yeah I just feel like well, maybe maybe human women should, should do more of that I don't I don't know
0: but, it's yeah. kind of like the opposite idea we have like greek society where i remember we, i mean i'm sure it's completely wrong but we were told that like you know the the men um had sex with each other for fun and with women for sort of babies and that was it that like, was kind of yeah um, yeah, I know, I, yeah i don't know how much truth there is in that at all so i don't want to take up any more oh, time probably. um uh did i have oh yeah do you have just to sort of end on from all your work <laughs> and <laughs> research and stuff do you have like an idea of like a breakup survival kit like what do you think people really need to get through breakups <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I always say first eat chocolate um <laughs> which is I mean it sounds class it sounds like a classic cliche doesn't it but it does actually release dopamine and you know so I, I do think there's something in it but seriously um reach out to friends or you know you might want to actually see a therapist actually reach out to a professional person who really can help you sort of look at look at what's happened and and kind of Analyze it and see what you how you want to move forwards. Um, so yeah, you know you, you might you might want to do that, but um, also just exercise and and singing and dancing and laughing and doing all the, all doing any kind of physical activity. Things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, swimming I think is really mindful and really good. Like quite a few comedian friends had t- talked about swimming. Sarah Bernett I think talked a lot about swimming and. Um, yeah, you know, just getting those good chemicals flowing through the brain. Because when we go through a breakup, we are actually withdrawing from a drug that we've been addicted to. Our partners release opiates, you know, in in our bodies and in our brains. So we are hooked on that person. And when that person suddenly goes away, we go through this really incredible, real visceral, physical process. And so we do need to do things that you know kick up those those good hormones oxytocin dopamine we do need cuddles from friends if we can i know tons of people broke up in lockdown which was awful because you couldn't actually you know physically hug people and see people and you couldn't get that kind of contact which i think is is important um but i also do swear by you know as a as a pet owner with my cat and my dog, I think animals, if, if you love animals and you're not allergic or anything like that, I do think they can really, really release brilliant chemicals too, like stroking my dog and my cat, I think, releases my oxytocin.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really important to remember. It's just like, it's a lot of chemicals just sort of <laughs> going Yeah, crazy.
1: I mean, it <laughs> it's all a chemical reaction, isn't it? And, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, sometimes you we love. take Sometimes we take antidepressants and so on. Um, And though, interestingly, um, you know, we won't get too far into this. There's a whole chapter in the book about love drugs and anti-love drugs and whether in the future we might take a pill to help us stay in or help us leave Mm. a relationship, a bit like sort of real-life version of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Although, interestingly, if we could do that, would we not just keep on repeating the same old patterns again and again as they do in the film because the two characters do meet again? Yeah. So who knows? Lot um, to think about. <laughs> God,
0: <laughs> I don't know how I got through. But I don't, you know, I was like, I'm trying to remember how did I get through my breakup. I think I Facetime my mum every other day. Yeah. I had a mantra in my head, which was just simply that was then, this is now, like literally constantly yeah. throughout the day. Um, and I remember so Jen Kirkman, the American comedian. I listened to her podcast for a bit, and um, she always said how whatever she was thinking or doing or think feelings you have to write and remind to write down and remind herself I don't have to do anything about these feelings today like you know anything about these feelings today and that kind of but I also went to LA for a couple of months so then I that seemed to I came back really refreshed and then I. oh would, yeah
1: yeah travel is great when we can when we can do it you know yeah. um, not in a pandemic but um yeah. Also, you know, you talked about speaking to your mum every day and I think routines are, are really good if we can still try and stick to sort of eating and sleeping and, and doing things in some some kind of typical routine. It's really hard because your sleep is really, really disrupted because you're going through this real physical process of, of real, real stress and shock. But if you can keep to some kind of routines, but it's also good to have a friend you might be able to speak to in the middle of the night. So a friend in a different part of the world and... During my last breakup, um, my ex, my first ever ex was actually over in the US. So we were See. messaging each other sometimes at yeah. weird like hours. Yeah.
0: I I, yeah. I used to wake there was a period I woke up at like I think it was like three eighteen every morning for some reason. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, oh that's and, a terrible time, isn't it? Yeah. When you really
0: But they were or... in America, so they were sort of just going to bed and I couldn't. Yeah, text yeah. so you know. it's not
1: a bad time. So it is quite good to maybe have friends in other parts yeah. of the world that yeah. that you could speak to, but there there are always, you know, professionals you can reach out to as well, um, if you really, really are feeling alone. Um yeah, obviously organizations like the Samaritans and so on.
0: It's hard to remember that it's just—it's a process. Just you'll go through, and you'll get through it. If it just yeah, really you're not—you're not, like you're not alone. So yeah. many
1: people have been through it, and that's really what I was trying to create with the podcast. I think
0: I love that. Um, thank you so much. I won't take up any more of your time. Um, it's really, really, really lovely to chat to you. I know it's just been like yeah, everything bits and bobs, but um, I've just, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Nice um, to
1: nice to meet you properly <laughs> and, at um, last. You know. What
0: what you're working on at the moment what's your next thing you're coming up right
1: um what's your big well I'm still recording the podcast at a few events here and there and just, I write a lot of articles for magazines and newspapers and yeah I've, I've got a few things still coming up I, I'm in the background sort of working up new book ideas I've got kind of radio ideas as well but it's very much yeah you know, very let's awesome. see let's see what what happens and Creatives, what sticks, creative life what, you know yeah oh god it's a nightmare isn't it what what you can get some money to do really isn't it, yeah, yeah, it. Um, but I'll i've watch. just been i've just been presenting uh, some shows this summer for virgin radio pride which has been fun so i i do love presenting radio and i'd love to do more of that as well
0: thank you so much honestly it's been really really lovely and like i said i'm sorry it's been nice. kind of blah, blah blah all around but maybe i'll see you on a gig or an event at some point and um yeah. Real life <laughs> real life chat. Thank you so much, Rosie. Hope you have a cool. lovely evening and enjoy your weekend and um yeah, we'll stay in touch on Instagram and everything like
1: that. Definitely, definitely. All all of that. All of that. Brilliant. Awesome. Okay. So,
0: Alright, take care.
1: Bye. Bye.